Okay, Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis chapter number 1. We come this morning to the fourth day of creation. On day 1, God said, let there be light. And then he divided the light from the darkness. On day 2, God created the firmament and divided the waters under the firmament from the waters above the firmament. On day 3, God gathered the seas into one place and the land into one place. He filled the land with plant life and vegetation. So the focus of day one was light. The focus of day two was the ferment. The focus of day three, the earth, the seas, the vegetation. As we come to day four, the focus of day four is the sun, the moon, and the stars. Begin in verse 14. The Bible says in Genesis 1:14, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. Divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night. And divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So now we have a mechanism whereby to measure the evening and the morning, and we've got a sun, the greater light, to give light upon the earth and rule the day, and the moon, the lesser light, to give light upon the earth and rule the night. And just as a side note, he made the stars also. So day number four, the sun the moon, and the stars. Big day on day number four. Let me just start the lesson this morning. I'm going to try to do this quickly. I want to give you some facts about the sun, some facts about the moon, some facts about the stars. I found this interesting. Perhaps you will as well. The sun's diameter is almost 900,000 miles. Circumference, 2.7 million Miles. As a point of comparison, the Earth's diameter is 7,900 miles, meaning you could line up 109 Earths across the face of the sun. It is nearly a perfect sphere, unless it's flat like the Earth. But its, it's equatorial diameter, I was joking, its equatorial diameter and its polar diameter differ by only 6.2 miles. It is only 6 miles more wide than it is, we would say, I guess, tall. That, that is a difference of 0.0007%. There is seven millionths of a percent difference between how wide the sun is and how long or tall the sun is, almost a perfect sphere. Think about the volume of the sun. 1.4 times 10 to the 27th cubic meters. If you can't imagine that number, imagine this. 1.3 million Earths could fit inside the sun. 1.3 million Earths. The sun, the center of our solar system, the sun contains 99.8% of the mass in the entire solar system. The rest of the planets and, and, and all the other stuff is 0.2%. The sun is... 99.8%. Its surface is known as the photosphere. It has a temperature of about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. 
But that's just the surface. At the core, the temperature can be as high as 27 million. I feel sorry for the guy that had to measure that. 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. The average distance from the Earth to the Sun is 93 million miles. 93 million miles. That is known as an astronomical unit or an AU. That's the average distance. Sometimes it's a little closer, sometimes a little farther. The, the orbit of the Earth is an ellipsis. Uh, and so uh, 93 million miles is the average. What that means is if the sun went dark right now, it would be eight minutes before we realized it. It takes light, which travels 186,000 miles per second. It takes light eight minutes to reach the earth from the sun. Incredible. Facts about the moon. The moon is earth's only natural satellite. That is things that orbit the earth. We've sent up some satellites, but the moon is a natural satellite. It orbits the earth at an average speed of 2,300 miles an hour. It's moving out. It's going pretty quick. Uh, at 2300 million uh, 2300 miles an hour if the moon left the earth right now it would take four and a half years to get from the earth to the sun at 2300 miles per hour i don't know anybody needs to know that but four and a half years over four and a half years the moon is in synchronous rotation with the earth what is synchronous rotation the moon rotates around its axis in exactly the same time that it takes to orbit the earth. It takes the moon 27.3 days to get completely around the earth, and it takes the moon 27.3 days to rotate around its own axis. That, that happens at exactly the same time. The outcome, the result of that, is that the, the same side of the moon is always facing the earth. From the earth, you will only ever see one side of the moon. What is called the dark side of the moon has only been seen or photographed, supposedly, from spacecraft. Interesting. The diameter of the moon is 2,160 miles. That's about a quarter of the earth's diameter. You could fit 50 moons inside the earth. How far away is the moon? 238,900 miles. Now, 238,900 versus 93 million. Sun's a lot farther away. They look about the same size in the sky. That's because the moon is 400 times closer. The moon's gravity is one-sixth of the Earth's gravity. What that means is, however much you weighed this morning... You divide that by six, and that's how much you weigh on the moon. So just remember that next time somebody asks you how much you weigh. You mean on the earth or on the moon? <laughs> that might come in handy. Supposedly, 12 people have walked on the moon. They're all from the United States. The first one was in December 1969. The last in December 1972. So a space of three years only people ever to walk on the moon between 69 and 72. That's odd. But due to the lack of wind and atmosphere, the footprints they left are still there, fresh in that little layer of dust on the surface. Interesting. Facts about the stars. 
Ever wondered how many stars there are in the night sky? Astronomers tell us about 9,000 stars that are visible to the naked eye. The problem is you only see half of the sky at any time, so that means uh, if, if, if you were able to go out and count the stars, you'd get up to about 4,500. Use a good pair of binoculars, that takes the number up to 200,000. Use a good telescope, and, and, and now you can count, if, if you have a lot of time, up to 15 million. Large observatories are capable of resolving billions of stars. But how many are there? Nobody knows. The approximation for the Milky Way galaxy is uh, maybe 100 billion stars, give or take. But how many galaxies are there in the universe? Nobody knows. Astronomers came up with a conservative estimate. Maybe there's 10 trillion Sounds like a fair guess. Let's just say there are 10 trillion galaxies, conservative estimate. Let's just say there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy, and it's average. That would mean 1 times 10 to the 24th power. That's 1 with 24 zeros after it. In America, we call that a septillion. In Europe, you'd call that a quadrillion. It's a bunch of stars. But the Bible says Psalm 174 I'm sorry, one, there is no Psalm 174. Psalm 147, verse 4, that God telleth the number of the stars, and he calleth them all by their names. He, he doesn't just know how many there are. He has a name for each of them. It's incredible. It's like the hairs of your head, but a lot more impressive. Now think about this. The sun is a star. And the sun is so large you can fit 1.3 million Earths inside of it, but the sun is just an average-sized star. A lot of stars are a lot bigger than the sun. Betelgeuse, it's not even the biggest star, but it's one whose name is easy to remember. Betelgeuse is a red giant. It's about 700 times bigger and 14,000 times brighter than our sun. Day number four, at evening and morning, God made the sun and the moon and the stars. Go to Psalm 8. Don't lose Genesis 1. Go to Psalm 8. Let's get some scripture as we consider these incredible facts about what God created. It ought to fill our hearts with awe and wonder at the God who created them. Psalm 8 and verse number 1. The Bible says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth! Exclamation point. There's some emotion behind this. Really think about it this morning. Ponder it in your heart. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies. Thou mayest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens. We just did that for a few minutes. The work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. I just rattled off some scientific facts that I found on the internet about the sun and the moon and the stars. When we think about this, what should be our response? Verse 4, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man, that thou visitest him. I mean, as, as large as the sun is, sun's an average size star, as large as the stars are, as many stars as there are, the, the, the great expanse of the universe, God made all that. The sun, moon, and stars, 
He spoke them into existence. An evening, a morning, he was done. No sweat, no big deal. He didn't have to take a nap. In fact, he pulled an all-nighter and went right back at it the very next day. It was no exertion of his intellect. It was no exertion of his energy. God just spoke it into existence. He made the stars also. He garnished the heavens This ought to strike us with how amazing God's power is. And it also ought to strike us with how amazingly insignificant we are. Among all the universe, this one little galaxy, in that galaxy, this one little solar system, in this solar system, this one little planet, on that planet, one tiny speck of and yet the Lord cares about us and knows us and as much as we can't number the stars the Bible says you can't number his thoughts toward us how amazing it is that God would take note of us that God would love us that God would care about us and yet he does it's it's just incredible Isaiah chapter 40 And verse number 28, Isaiah chapter 40, and verse number 28, the next reference there in your notes. And the Bible says in Isaiah 40, verse 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. Psalm 121, verse 4 says he neither slumbers nor sleeps again day number four big day but it didn't wear him out at all now now what do we learn as we set out on this study that creation not only reveals there is a god creation demonstrates some of his attributes some of his characteristics creation teaches us certain things about his nature and romans 1 verse 20 says what it shows us is his eternal power and Godhead. And day number four specifically is an incredible demonstration of the power of God when he made the sun and the moon and the stars. Back to Genesis 1, there were three stated purposes, and I want you to fill these out in your notes, three stated purposes for the creation of the sun, moon, and stars on day number four. The first one in verse number 14, God said, Let there be light to the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Again, God divides. And the first purpose of the sun, moon, and stars is to divide the day from the night. The, the second purpose of the sun, moon, and stars, verse 14, and let them be, here's, here, here's your reason, for signs and for seasons, and for days, and for years. So number one, to divide the day from the night. Number two, for signs, for seasons, for days, for years. Number three, verse 15, let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So point number three, to give light upon the earth. You learn about all those three purposes in science class. Not only does the sun provide light for the earth. It takes about eight minutes to reach here. But by giving, by being that source of light, it is also the source of 
energy. In that way, the sun sustains life on this planet. You remember learning about that in science class. So that's kind of what distinguishes point one from point three. Yes, it divides the day from the night. It's the greater light to rule the day, but to give light upon the earth also points to its purpose in being this this source of energy and this uh, sustaining of life. That responsibility the sun takes on. But consider point number two, for science, for seasons, for days, for years. We've touched on the magnitude of the sun, moon, and stars, but what about the precision of the sun and moon and stars? Don't have time to go into a full discussion of it this morning, but we measure time. How? By the sun, the moon, and the stars. And their orbits and their movements, and as the Bible puts it, their circuits. And it's all so precise that you can pick anywhere in the world and find out what time the sun is going to rise and what time the sun is going to set. You go online, put in your place, put in your date, be it today, tomorrow, yesterday, a hundred years from now, and get the exact time of the sunrise And the sun set because God ordered it that way. It's not just the sun. Think about the moon. Due to its gravitational pull on the earth, it's responsible for these things called the the tides. I know you know that. Two high tides, two low tides each day. If you want to figure out the best time to go snorkeling at Pina Island on any given date, you can pull up the date and you can pull up the place and get the exact time for the high tides and the low tides because God said they're for signs, for seasons, for days, for years. The way that it all works and moves together, it's clockwork. It's precise. It's not just the sun, it's not just the moon, it's the stars. They move through their circuits in the heaven. Anybody ever looked up in the sky and saw a comet? Like We heard about it on the news, there's going to be this comet, it it goes by this name, it's going to pass by, it comes by every 1,500 years. The last time it was in the night sky was, you know, when sometime in the dark ages. The next time that this planetary alignment is going to be in the year 4,152. I mean, you hear these people make these predictions, but why can they do that? It's because this movement is also precise. The Lord set it up that way. He said, you can set your clocks by it. It's incredible. Look at Psalm 136. Psalm 136. This is not only a demonstration of God's power, this is a demonstration of God's wisdom. Creation reveals the power and the wisdom of God. Psalm 136 and verse number 5. Psalm 136 and verse 5, the Bible says, To him that by wisdom made the heavens... To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretcheth out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. The perfect cross-reference to day four in Genesis 1. And what is the preface? What, What lesson does it teach us? Verse number five that God by wisdom 
made the heaven and the earth. Think, think about this with me for just a moment this morning. If God has the wisdom to order and to govern the affairs of the universe, and he does so in such precision and with such accuracy, then certainly this morning, certainly he has the wisdom to order and govern the affairs of my life. If he tells the stars what to do and they listen, and he tells the sun where to go and it listens, and he tells the moon how to orbit and it listens, God help me pay attention and listen when he wants to give me some instruction and he wants to give me some direction from his word. When I consider thy heavens, I ought to be awestruck by the power of God and by the wisdom of God, and I ought to be motivated and inspired just to get my life in line with his purpose, just like the sun, moon, and stars are directly in line with his purpose. Now, let's, let's wrap this up on day number four with some typology, because uh, as we've studied each of these days of creation, we've also tried to come away with some spiritual lessons. And there's some great typology on day number four. We're only going to cover a little bit of it. But the sun, as you know, the sun is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. The sun is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. Let me prove that to you from the Bible. Come quickly to Malachi chapter 4. Last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4. And verse number 2. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. The Bible says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. This is a prophecy of the second advent of Jesus Christ. But what's peculiar or curious in verse 2, the Son of Righteousness, it's a capital S, but it's not Son, S-O-N, it's son, S-U-N. This is a name, a title, a designation given to the Son of God is the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. Another connection between the second coming of Jesus Christ and a sunrise is given in Matthew chapter 24. Look there. Next book in your Bible, Matthew 24 and verse number 27. Matthew 24 and verse 27, this speaking of future events and the end of the world, this is a prophetic chapter in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 24, verse 27. The Bible says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now we, we read that, word, that, that verse and we imagine a bolt of lightning coming down out of the ground. And, and typically when we think of a bolt of lightning, we think of cloud to ground lightning, and that is not in the east to west direction. <laughs> that is the up to down direction. Sometimes there's some cloud to cloud, but that can go east to west, that can go west to east, that can go any which way. This lightning that comes from the east and shines into the west, this is not a bolt of lightning. This isn't all those molecules bumping into each other up there in the sky. There is a light that rules the day. And it rises in the east, always. And it sets in the west, always. This is the sunrise and the 
sunset, and that is set in Matthew 24 to be a picture of the coming of Jesus Christ. What's going to happen at the end of the tribulation is the lights in the universe are going to go out, the sun is going to be darkened, the moon's going to be turned to blood, the stars in heaven's going to fall. It's going to take eight minutes for that sunlight to not shine on the earth. But at that time, the sun of righteousness will arise. Jesus Christ will return, and he is the great source of light. And Revelation 1 says, every eye shall see him. The sun is a type or a picture clearly in the Bible of Jesus Christ, especially in his second coming. Matthew chapter 19 sets uh, sets the typology further. Let me just turn there and read it to you. You can turn if you'd like. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. I'm sorry, Psalm 19, verses 4 through 6. Psalm 19. Four through six, their lines gone out through all the world, all the earth. Their words in the world. And then if he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Who's the bridegroom? It's Jesus Christ. Revelation nineteen. There is a wedding ceremony is going to take place in heaven. Christ the bride, the church. I'm sorry, Christ the bridegroom, the church, the bride. The sun is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run the race. Uh, his goings forth from the end of the heaven, his circuit under the ends of it, nothing hid from the heat thereof. So, the sun is a picture of Jesus Christ. What's the purpose for the sun? To give light upon the earth, to divide the day from the night. Christ accomplishes those purposes. How many times does the New Testament say that Christ brings us out of darkness and into light? How often does the New Testament indicate he wants our lives to be cut off, separated from the darkness? He wants us to walk in the light as he is in the light. The sun gives light on the earth. It it is a source of life, the source of energy. Jesus Christ, the Bible says in John 5, 26, he has life in himself. Jesus Christ, the Bible says in John 10, 27, he gives unto them, those who believe on him, he gives them eternal life. Jesus Christ is the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world in so many different ways. The sun is a great type or a picture of Jesus Christ. What about the moon? What is the moon a picture of? What does the moon represent? We'll go to Job 25 and Psalm 89, and I'll show you. Job 25 and Psalm 89. Job 25 and verse 5. Job 25 and verse 5. Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. What, what do you mean the moon doesn't shine? That's actually a great scientific fact in the oldest book of the Bible. Because you know and I know that the moon is not a source of light in itself. The moon doesn't give us light. The moon reflects the light of the sun. The moon doesn't shine. The the sun shines and the moon reflects that light on the earth in the nighttime. The moon shining not. Okay, Psalm 89, verse 37. Perhaps you can see where this is going. Psalm 89, 
verse 37, the Bible says, It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Selah. Think about this. Established forever as the moon as a faithful witness. So, so the moon doesn't shine. It reflects the light of the sun, and it does so as a faithful witness. The moon is a type or a picture of the church. The moon is a type or a picture of the church. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 5. He said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Guess what? Jesus is no longer in the world. He lived. He came unto his own. His own received him not. He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He stayed here for 33 and a half years. He was born of a virgin in a manger. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He ministered publicly for three and a half years. He taught. He worked miracles. He revealed himself as the Son of God. He was rejected. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He rose again. Forty days later, he ascended back to heaven. He's not here anymore. As long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. But he, he's no longer here. What did he do? He left his church. What's the church supposed to do? Reflect the light of the sun. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll read it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 3. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 3. The Bible says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Now look at this. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts. Why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that's our bodies, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So Jesus is the light of the world, but Jesus is in heaven. (laughs) But in the person of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is in us if we're saved. And we have this treasure, this light of the glorious gospel, this light to give light upon the earth. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are now to be. The light of the world. That's what Matthew 5 says. Look at Matthew 5 and verse 13. Matthew 5 and verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is then forth good for nothing, but it be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. Verse 14, Matthew 5. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. All right, so Jesus the light of the world as long as he's in the world, but he's not in the world, but he left us in the world, and he wants us to let his light Shine. That is for us to be a reflection of 
Jesus Christ, for us to proclaim and declare and distribute the light of the glorious gospel. Now there are times when the light of the sun does not reach the earth, when it's obscured, when it's blocked, when it's eclipsed. There are times when the light of the moon does not reach the earth, when it is blocked, when it is obscured, when it is eclipsed. Come on, you you learn about this in science class. A lunar eclipse occurs when the moon moves into the earth's shadow. A lunar eclipse occurs when the moon moves into the earth's shadow. Okay, so so here's, here's what happens with a lunar eclipse. You've got the sun and you've got the earth and you've got the moon. And the moon is supposed to reflect the light of the sun. But in a lunar eclipse, it cannot do that because you've got this alignment where right between the moon and the sun is the earth. And the earth is in the way so that the light of the sun cannot reach the moon to be reflected upon the earth. That's a lunar eclipse. That's when the light of the moon goes out. Do you see that? What's the problem? The earth gets in the way. You know, there are a lot of saved people, a lot of people in the church. They're supposed to be the moon. They're supposed to reflect the light of the sun, but there's no light shining. You know what the problem is? It's a lunar eclipse. The earth is in the way. Temporal concerns, temporal pleasures, Everything's about the earth. The, the, the world is, is obscuring the light of the sun in the life of the saved child of God. We've got to get the earth out of the way. We cannot be entangled with the affairs of this life. We've got to be separate from the world in order to be used by God as the moon to give light upon the earth. You can't reach the world by being like the world. You've got to be different if you want to have a chance at letting your light shine. That's a lunar eclipse. What about a solar eclipse? Here's what happens with the solar eclipse. A portion of the earth is engulfed in a shadow cast by the moon, which fully or partially blocks the sunlight. So a lunar eclipse, you've got the sun, you've got the moon, and the earth is in the way. With a solar eclipse, you've got the sun and the earth, but the moon is in the way. That is, the moon, instead of reflecting the light of the sun, it absorbs the light of the sun. When the moon gets in the way of what the sun is trying to do upon the earth, then that's called a solar eclipse. And there are a lot of moons, a lot of saved people, a lot of churches who instead of reflecting the sun's light, they are just getting in the way of what the Son of God is trying to accomplish. That's when you make your life all about you. (laughs) That's when you're number one instead of the Son of God being Number one, that, 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 that's when your life is prioritized around your dreams and desires and ambitions instead of God's 
dreams and desires and ambitions. That's a solar eclipse. There, there's no sunlight reaching the earth when the moon gets in the way. Let's not let that happen in our lives. The sun, a great picture of Jesus Christ. The moon, a great picture of the church. Let us be faithful witnesses for the Lord. Reflect his light upon the earth. God help us. Lord, thank you for uh, your word this morning. God, thank you for your power. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your desire to use us to be your witnesses. God, may we each be uh, more committed to that great task. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.